Do you remember earlier in chapter 12 that there was this individual who partway through Jesus' message to the crowds decided that he needed to interrupt Jesus? And Jesus was speaking about the eternal things and the man only wanted to focus on temporal things. Jesus was actually speaking of our inheritance in heaven, our reward in glory. And this man at that moment decides to speak up and say, Teacher, make my brother to share the inheritance with me. Do you remember that? Take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. Because that is so us. That is so us. Jesus wants us to focus on laying up treasure in heaven. He wants us to focus upon eternal reward. And we are like, okay, that's true, but time is short. We'd really like you to talk about the here and now. You know, there's that age, but we're, we're in this age. You know, you're talking about your inheritance, but our inheritance, Lord. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about our money and possessions and that kind of thing. We need to be constantly reminded in the here and now that this here and now is not here for long. Our lives are short. A breath, a vapor, here a moment, gone the next. And very quickly, this passing age is giving way to an endless age. And these mortal lives are giving way to immortality, to endlessness. We need to be reminded and we need to be refocused regularly that this life is short. And that endless age, it's coming when Jesus comes. And our great King is coming back and that's the day that we need to live in light of. So I'm going to ask you this question and no doubt it will prompt some regret and guilty feelings and all of that, but it needs to be asked. It does in my heart, so I'm just assuming it will in yours because we're all sinners struggling on the way to glory. Have you been living your life lately in such a way that you will be glad to be living when Jesus comes? Have you been living your life lately in such a way that you will be glad to be living when Jesus comes? Because that's the life that you and I must strive to live. Believing and hoping and loving in such a way that we'll be glad to be living at that time when Jesus returns for us. We must live in a state of readiness for Jesus to come. Let's begin this morning with verses 35 to 38. Jesus has just said that we must lay up our treasures in heaven For where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. So then he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The command, stay dressed for action, means basically, stay ready. Stay ready. 
maybe uh, there has been one day in your life or maybe even several days when you went to bed uh, with your your day clothes on because you knew that you had to be ready at a moment's notice to get up or you knew that you are, uh, were having to get up at some very early hour. So, you know, why, why take the time to even get dressed into night clothes? You stayed in your day clothes. That was staying dressed for action. Or to put it another way, uh, for those of you who are moms, you know, as you were in your ninth, ninth month of pregnancy and you were looking forward to the day when you would deliver your baby, you prepared a bag. And you kept it by your bed. You knew right where it was and you had everything in it that you needed. So at the, at the critical hour, you wouldn't have to scramble together and get ready. You needed to be ready. You needed to stay ready for that, that trip to the hospital and the delivery of your baby. And it's the same concept here. To stay ready. To stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The story is of this master who is going out on a journey. He is traveling to a wedding feast and he is coming back. And the servants know that part. They know the what. He is coming. But they don't know the when. And so they must continue in the work that each one of them has been assigned. Day by day, it's business as usual. Every day they're freshening their master's room because he might be coming back that day. Even I think that they they would be preparing their master's meals because a lot of work went into that. You know, hours of preparation. And so what if the master showed up right at dinner time? They needed to be ready. And so order was kept on the estate and it would be business as usual even at night for whenever the master made his return. Very clearly we see that this waiting for our king to come back is not a passive waiting. It's not a sitting around in action. Uh, in action, one word in action, doing nothing is what I mean. Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, and he was speaking about, not like he did in Ephesians chapter 6, but he was mentioning a few pieces of our spiritual armor. And he spoke of our hope of salvation. And he said, when you wear that hope of salvation, put it on like a helmet in your spiritual suit of armor. You're waiting for Jesus is a piece of armor. That is, we need to be in a state of wartime readiness for Jesus to come back. And how do people live in wartime? They make sacrifices that they don't make in peaceful days, in peacetime. They re-prioritize uh, their lives. There's rationing and, and things like that. People uh, live differently. They, they have just a new set of priorities. In our day, it's not the day of inactivity. It's, it's not the day of just sitting around. It's wartime readiness and it's the day of sacrifice until our king appears in the sky riding upon the horse here to conquer and to deliver his own. Being ready does not mean inane date setting, headline searching. And again, it doesn't mean that passive, idle inaction. Each of God's servants has work to do, an assignment. We must each exercise faith, hope, and love, especially love, 
because it's love that ties together, the Bible says, all the virtues and all of the good works. The servants could hang around on the estate all day in their sleep clothes, sitting on the couch, eating chips, faces glued to a screen. That's how they could spend their summer. Hint, hint, this is, this is going to the, the kids who are off for the summer. But if you spend your summer with your face glued to a screen, that's not waiting for Jesus. It's not ready for Jesus. That's, that's inaction. That being said, you can work like a dog and still be a sloth, spiritually speaking. Because if you work yourself tirelessly for what doesn't last, that spiritual lethargy is bad as anybody has spiritual lethargy. And that's something that you and I need to guard against. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We don't have room for spiritual lulls in our lives. Let me, I want to speak uh, personally and, and specifically to our church family. We expect seasonal lulls in church. And every church does. Come summertime, we expect attendance to be down to drop off as people travel. There's lots of activity going on, lots of demands, and there, there's that summer lull. And sometimes there is a lull because we have a number of people sick at once. Sometimes you have a lull because uh, the season of sickness, and when it coincides with that, that summer lull, I mean, we, we have these seasonal lulls, and those are to be expected, and those are okay, and even though we're tempted to get down sometimes when, man, we just didn't have the folk in church today, we, we mustn't because those are to be expected. Spiritual lulls, on the other hand, are not of God. And they are not to be expected. And we are not to take spiritual lulls in stride. We mustn't. And we must not explain away, you know, a spiritual lull in seasonal terms. Oh, it's just the summertime. You know, I'm just I'm kind of worn down. I need a break. Yeah, I'm feeling a little lazy when it comes to the Word and ministry to others, but it's just that time of year. No. No. We must not excuse ever a spiritual lull in our lives because that's not living ready. What is uh, the spiritual lethargy or what might it look like? We're just spiritually weary or spiritually lazy. We just want to take a break. You know, okay, I'll save that putting on the armor and that combat readiness. That's for the, the winter, the fall, and the spring. But it's summertime. I'm, I'm taking this stuff off and I'm going to put it aside for a while. I, I know we don't think that way, but we do that. We take off the armor and we put it aside. And what it looks like is... A Bible that's unopened and prayers that are unpassionate and neighbors unloved and gospel witness unspoken and church life that's uninvolved. That's spiritual lethargy. All of those symptoms suggest spiritual lethargy. And, and we might say, well, yeah, I do some of those things. Sometimes I take a day off here and there, but... Let's throw mostly, the word mostly into the mix. Bible mostly unopened. Neighbor mostly unloved. Church life mostly uninvolved. 
Gospel witness mostly unspoken. Prayers mostly unpassionate. That's spiritual lethargy and we must not ever take it in stride. Never. If you are feeling tired of God and tired of church, you're here in body perhaps today, but barely, and your heart is even less here, don't ever be good with that. Don't settle for that. Spiritual lethargy must be feared and it must be fought in our lives. It must be fought. It must be mourned and it must be repented of on our knees and without delay. And lift up your hand because Christ is reaching down to you outstretched and open wide. Take His hand and He will lift you up. He will. He will renew your strength like the eagles. You will mount up. You will run and you will not be weary. Trust in Christ. Look to Christ. Take His hand. He will lift you up. We must trust Him and we must look to Him. And listen, if if you look into your heart and you find that your heart is not in that first love frame, you remember what Jesus said about having our first love. He warned the Ephesians. He said, your works are good. All your labors, they're good. They're pleasing to me. But you have lost your first love. And it's so serious that He threatened to, to blow out their candle if they would not return to their first love. He said to them, remember where you have fallen from. Like, look back up. Look behind you. Look at the top of that cliff. That's where you were. That's where you've fallen from. You go back and you go back now. Let's get back to first love. First love for Jesus and His people. Now is all of this wartime readiness and this urgency worth it? It's a question that we we must answer. And look at what Jesus promises here. He, He promises that He will reward the servant who is ready, waiting for His return. He said that he will himself don the, the, the servant's garb and he will lay a feast before his servants and he will wait on them. I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I do know that the Bible promises in Ephesians chapter 2 that in the coming ages, God will show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Ephesians 2.7 There is great reward for all those who live ready for the return of Christ. Are you ready? Are you living lately? How you will be glad to be living when Jesus comes back. It's worth it living for Him. I know there's so much prosperity and pleasure in this world, but that is passing away. God gives us gifts, yes, gifts to live on. He gives us wealth. He gives us possessions, food, clothing, the kinds of things that we've been talking about lately. We live on those things, but we do not live for those things. Our eyes are set on Jesus Christ, God's Son. He is our prize. He is our great reward. The world has bread. We have the bread of life. And He's what satisfies our souls forever. Turn our attention to verse 39. Jesus says, Know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now here's another parable. 
Okay? In the, the first parable, obviously the master represents Jesus and the servants represent all of us, God's people. Here, it's a new parable. Jesus is making a new point. He is not the master in this very short, strong to the point parable. He's not the master and he's not the thief. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The Bible often makes the, the swift, sudden, and unexpected uh, return of Jesus, uh, it makes comparison to the coming of a thief. He is coming at an hour that we do not expect. Suddenly and swiftly, and we must be ready. Jesus Christ is coming back. The, the New Testament scriptures are full of the promise of Christ's return. This truth and this promise must inform all of our decision making. We could ask a couple questions when we're at a moment of indecision or temptation or what have you. We could think, okay, first of all, does this pass the test of bringing glory to God? Does this action, do these words, do these thoughts bring glory to God? Can I thank God for this activity? And so on. We could also say, we could also ask ourselves, does this activity accord with Jesus coming back? Uh, On Friday, I was talking to someone about um, their friend, a believer, who is dating right now an unbeliever. And they were asking my counsel, and I was, amongst a lot of things I said, just came to my mind because I was talking about, or as I was studying this passage, I said, but Jesus is coming back. And we know that, we know the command of scripture. And I know a lot of people are equivocating on this matter these days. But we know the command of scripture that we must marry in the Lord, and we must not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's the truth of the matter. So I just said, Jesus is coming back. And the New Testament is filled with the urgency of His coming and the holiness that must accord with His coming and the prioritizing and the loving and the hoping and the rejoicing that must accord with Christ's return. And and that specific thing, that action, that compromise and that sin doesn't accord with Jesus coming back. It's not the self-control and the discipline and the prioritizing and the hoping and the urgency and the right loving and all of that, the right worship that accords with Jesus is come when that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Every decision is affected. Every activity, and I'm not saying that there's not room for rest and recreation. There is. God gives us rest and He gives us things to enjoy. He allows us recreation and ball games and all of that. But let's think about those other things that I mentioned earlier that are symptoms of spiritual lethargy. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I've got so many things to do. But Jesus is coming back. Oh, prayer feels like such a chore sometimes. But Jesus is coming back. I know that person could use my help, but man, I've got a lot of things going on. And I'm tired. But Jesus is coming back. That person, I know that they need the gospel, but they're smarter than I am and they have more answers than I do and they are so stubborn in their unbelief. But Jesus is coming back. It is Sunday morning. I would love to just sleep in today and get some extra rest because this week was hard. But Jesus is coming back. Christ is coming back. And do our decisions and the 
All the choices we make does it in accord with Christ coming back. Because all of these choices show us whether we are living in a state of readiness. Are we ready? Are we ready? Peter now questions in, in verse 41. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, throughout chapter 12, the reason for this question is because sometimes Jesus is addressing the crowd and sometimes he focuses narrowly on the disciples and Peter has picked up on that. And what he says to whom is important. We don't want to misapply God's word. That's easy to do. We can't apply it however we want. Context matters. That's why Peter asked this question. Are you telling... Talking to us? Are you talking to everybody? Just to us? What? And now Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. He doesn't say, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the crowd. I'm talking to both. He doesn't answer directly, but in the parable, he does answer. Let me answer ahead of this parable. Not my word. This is God's word. This is the sum of what Christ says. The answer to Peter's question is this. There will be something for everyone when Jesus returns. There will be something for everyone when Jesus returns. The follow-up question is, what will you receive? On that day Christ returns, what will you be receiving from His hand? Let's look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? What a, what a way to start. Why ask a question? This is kind of odd. Why didn't he just say there is a faithful and wise manager that the master will set over his household? But he says, who is it? Like, who is it going to be? Who is going to serve? Who is going to to give the people of God their food at the proper time? Who is it going to be? And then he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus has given to each and every one of us a place for service. Some have One gifting and some have another gifting. Some this call and some that call. There are speaking gifts and that, and there are helping gifts all to be performed in service to the Lord. If we are faithful with what God gives us to do, there will be great reward in the kingdom of God. Great reward. Jesus promises. There's also something in this parable that points us to what our priorities should be as we wait for our king's return. We must prioritize feeding his house, caring for his church, building up our fellow believers, brothers and sisters in the faith, and using the the place and the gifts and the skills that God has entrusted to us to care for one another. God has placed you here for a reason. He gave you this place and this time and the gifts that you have 
to serve in the church where you are? How are you serving? What are you contributing? What time and what energy and what resources are you giving? What love, what prayers, what encouragement, what comfort, what service and help are you giving to care for the church of God? This is what Jesus is pointing us toward. This is how to live in light of His return, to to care for His people. And I also ask not only what service are you giving, but with what heart are you giving that service? Earlier I spoke of a spiritual lull. And um, I know that a good many of you here have been serving in this church for a long, long time. You've been serving hard and you've been very reliable And I know that we come to times where we just feel extra worn down and weary. And sometimes we feel like it's another thankless task. And I I mentioned something in Sunday school this morning that I want to bring up again. Who is sufficient for what God has called us to do? As ministers in the church, I'm not talking preachers or whatever per se, but we're all ministers, we're all servants. All of us. We're not sufficient for these things. We don't have power and strength and the the energy and the gusto in ourselves. We rely wholly on God. We are weak. We are outwardly wearing down and wasting away. We're crumbling. Paul said we're vessels of clay. But God has deposited the treasure of the Gospel in these vessels of clay so that it will be obvious to His church and to all the world that the surpassing power of the Gospel does not belong to us. It is all of God. And I I said earlier, I want to say it again, it is good that we are weak because when we are weak, then we are strong. I suspect that there is perhaps a lull of enthusiasm these days. I was talking to somebody about it recently. They sensed it too. You know, I can't remember what I just said, actually. Lull in enthusiasm, if I didn't say it. I, I feel that. I feel like we're, we're a little bit tired these days. Let's confess that to God. Lord, I'm not sufficient. Lord, I can't go on. Just every week, same thing, same thing. Feeding the sheep. And then the sheep get hungry and they need to be fed again. And they need to be cleaned up. Sometimes they stink. You know, on and on it goes. In obscurity, shepherding, feeding, encouraging, comforting, building up, strengthening. Go, go, go. We're not surging ahead to glory. We're just plodding along step by step. Let's look to God and let's do it in the power of the Holy Spirit for God's glory and each other's good. We see, beginning in verse 48, that there are actually two kinds of recompense for when Jesus comes back. There is the reward of the faithful, which we just saw, and the punishment of the wicked. Now we need to make a clarification before we read on. There are three servants that are described in the following uh, parable or two. I guess you could look at it as a couple of different parables, perhaps. 
they're three different servants. And each one of them is wicked. Each one of them is unfaithful, and each one of them will be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But this passage actually shows to us that there are degrees of punishment, degrees of judgment in hell. Now, a a quick caution here. It's easy for us to look at parables and say, okay, Jesus is calling this person, these individuals, servants. Therefore, that means, according to Christian doctrine, here's the parallel I'm going to draw, these people must be Christians. And what we try, the mistake we make is we're not reading according to the, the genre, the style, all of that. We're, we're, we're getting, we're missing in our interpretation. So we're, we try to take every little point in the par- parable and draw a parallel to Christian doctrine and say this equals that. When that's not what parables do. Parables make one point, two points, at most three points. We, we can't squeeze every drop out of that parable like it's a rag full of water or something like that, okay? So, these servants are not Christians. And I'm cautioning you on this because some people make the leap to purgatory using this parable. They say, see, these people are servants and yet they are punished in the end, but they must get into the kingdom because they're servants of God, so there must be some kind of time of purging purification, some kind of waiting period, and then they get to the kingdom once they qualify. That's wrong. That's mistaken. All people are the servants of God, really, unwilling or willing, true and faithful or unfaithful, because we are all God's creations. There is one Lord, and we all live under His authority and domain. We're all under His Lordship. So the Bible says, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Okay? So that's how we need to to think of this. These are all wicked servants, unfaithful, and all will be condemned forever. But let's look at what's going on here. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Here's the word of the Lord. There are degrees of punishment in the judgment. And number one, those who abuse the church, who abuse their authority and the followers of Jesus Christ, who are like wolves who rise up within the flock and devour it. False teachers and false prophets, imposters, deceiving and leading many astray. They will be on that day cut down without mercy. They will be cut down without mercy. The Bible says in another place, Luke 17, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That's the kind of individual Jesus is warning about. The false teachers, the false prophets, there will be great punishment for them in eternity. Another servant also sins, doing his own thing. 
and living as if he were his own and knows better. The Bible says he too will be judged severely, although not like the first. So verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Again, be careful about how you draw parallels to doctrine with parables. A severe beating doesn't mean just, you know, Christ takes the scourge to him or something and then he can go into the kingdom. He is simply saying lesser punishment than the first one who is described. But it's still, and I don't comprehend this, how can someone be everlastingly punished under the wrath and the fury of God and have less than another? That's what Christ says. And then you have a third. It says, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And don't, don't make the conclusion that Jesus is saying that, yeah, hell may have its rough times for some, but generally it's going to be okay. You know, this is how a lot of people think about hell, the lake of fire. Yeah, you know, it's a lake of fire. That's not cool. But I'll be like on the shoreline and I'll still get together with my buddies and we'll, we'll party and, you know, it might be a little bit dark, but it'll be all right. It's not what Christ is saying. He is simply saying less than the one who knew better. Here again is an unfaithful servant. And he lives for himself and he does his own thing. He lives as if he were his own. But all of this sin was in ignorance. He was unreached, untouched, and he never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will still be condemned. But he will not suffer as those who knew better. Or as those who knew better and had authority and led so many astray. So there are degrees of punishment in hell. But tell me, does your heart not break for the third? Especially. Not of those who abused their authority. Not of those who sinned and knew better. But of those who were idolatrous and self-worshipping without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we have missions. This is why we pray for missionaries and why we support them and send them out and so on. Because there are many, there are thousands every day and every night who are going before the Lord and being cast from His presence who never heard the Gospel. And this is why we care for the nations. This is why we go. Finally, at the end of verse 48, Jesus reinforces this truth. He says, Everyone to whom much was given of Him, much will be required. And from Him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And this is true for the believer. There are degrees of reward in the kingdom. The more you are given, the more is required of you. The greater your service, the greater your reward. And it's also true for the unbeliever. The more that they are given, the greater their accountability before God. In other words, you are responsible before God for what you hear. You are responsible before God for what you hear. Alds Chapel Bible Church, over the decades, what has this church not heard in the preaching of the Word? We are responsible. Here is the Word of the Lord. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars 
and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21. John 14. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. John 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Acts 1. As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Romans 13, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Second Thessalonians says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 John chapter 3. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Revelation 1. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. In Revelation 22. Last chapter, last book. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Surely, I am coming soon. Are you ready? Have you been Living lately, believing, hoping, 
and loving in such a way that you will be glad to be believing and hoping and loving on the day He comes back? Are you living in accord with Christ's return? Stay ready. Stay urgent. What do you need to do to wake up from any spiritual lethargy that you have in your heart? Do whatever you need to do. Whatever you must, do it. Do old habits need to be flung out of your life, renounced? Turn your back on them. Don't go back to them. New things in your life, do they need to be brought in? New disciplines, new habits? New prayers, ministries, loves, all of that? What needs to change? Wake up. Listen, if you start preparing, if you think later, later, I can go, I can do it later. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe you won't like that I say this, but I'm going to say it. I don't think Jesus is returning today. I really, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think he's coming this week. I don't think he's coming this year. If I said I think he is coming today, I mean, that would be, what? So, honestly, I don't think that he is coming today. I mean, like the apostles. Let's say Jesus has been gone back into heaven for three months or so. And would they be thinking, I think Jesus is coming today? No, I don't think they would be thinking that. They would think, I don't think Jesus is coming today. But I don't know when he is coming. I don't know when. And so whether I think he is coming today or not, I must be prepared. Because if I put it off, I'm not going to be ready. This is the life we live. Stay dressed for action. You don't put on the night clothes. You keep on the armor of light. Because we are the people of the day. Stay ready. And if you're not ready at all, could there be one? There could be one. If you're not ready at all, if, if Jesus came back today and He would say, I never knew you, depart from me. Right now, His hand is outstretched, ready to take the believing sinner. He's ready. We don't know how long that hand will be open wide. Because one day it will grasp the sword. When He comes back, it will be with a sword of judgment to conquer His enemies and those who do not believe and to deliver His own. So let us turn to Him now in faith. Repent of our self-rule and say, You are Lord. Repent of our self-righteousness and self-trust and say to Him, I cannot save myself. You have done you are all I need. You have done all I need. I have one Savior, and it's You. Forgive my sin and give me new life. And don't put it off, because today is the day of salvation. And how long that day will last, we do not know. So let us be ready, and let us stay ready. Let's pray. Father, oh God, help us. We're, we're people who so easily live by sight and not by faith, who live according to our senses and the, the things of this world, this life, this schedule, these obligations, these people and possessions and everything. This is the way we tend to live. And oh God, we do ask that you would take this word and drive it impact it deep into our hearts 
So, Lord, that it cannot be forgotten or brushed off and ignored. Oh, God, there's a hard heart out there. I know that there is. And there is a lot of hardness in my heart. However much hardness we have, break it. Please break it so that we are ready for Christ's return and stay ready, living for you and you alone, laying up our treasures not upon this earth, but in glory, where they are imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that moth or rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break up, break in and steal. May our treasures and our heart be there. May Jesus come soon and may every single person here be faithful until He does. In His name we ask. Amen.